The sponsor for the Shepherd's Crook podcast for the month of March is Buck Knives. Every hunter knows that it's not about the success, it's about the pursuit. The Pursuit series of fixed blade and folding knives by Buck has you covered. Proudly made in the USA, the Pursuit series is available in two sizes, large and small, with or without the gut hook. The non-slip handle will keep your knife comfortably in hand while you process your harvest. Gear up for the season at BuckKnives.com. While you're there, use the promo code BUCK20 at the checkout and save an extra 20%. This offer is only for a limited time, and it expires June 1st of 2020, and it's valid only at BuckKnives.com. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. We are recording live from our church's conference, the SI. We have a cheering fan crowd today. Yeah. Woohoo! But I'm sitting here with Brian Sauve. Brian, you doing good, man? I am doing excellently. Thank you. Okay, good. We are doing the Southern Illinois Gospel and Family Conference, which is our Christchurch conference that we've done the last few years. And we're at lunchtime, just enjoyed some SI Meatball Company. How was they your were so it good? good. It's really good. Oh. Free, free plug there for you, Andy. Um, I could commit the sin of gluttony it very was, easily. <laughs> very, it's very good. Uh, we just had uh, two sessions this morning, and we're about to do another session. And this one's going to be on biblical motherhood. Biblical motherhood. And then grandparenting. And the thing I want to throw your way today has to do with a little bit with the topic you're going to speak on here in a little bit. But... I want to set it up, and we'll talk, I don't know, this may be 20 or 30 minutes or less. We'll see. But I want to set this up for you and then just kind of pass it your way, see what you have to think about it, okay, have to say about it. I posted a couple weeks ago on Facebook this quote, uh, the battle of affirming the inerrancy and authority of the Bible over what I think and I feel is a battle that must be fought in every generation. It's a battle that's never going away. Pastors, be strong, courageous, and manly in your decade after decade fight. Spurgeon coined the uh, liberalism, the encroaching liberalism in Great Britain from Germany as the downgrade con- controversy. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I've recognized over the last, I don't know, 12 years in ministry is that the battles we fight in ministry and as the church, it's always over inerrancy and authority. Yeah. It's like, do we really believe what the Bible has to say? I want to read one more verse and then speak and ask you a question specifically about our embarrassment with what the Bible has to say to men and women. And yeah. specifically, you're going to be speaking to women about motherhood. Mm-hmm. And in our society, for a man to speak to women about anything yeah. is, I mean, it's not PC, it's not acceptable, it's not okay. It's, uh, you know, leave that to women. Women speak yeah. to women about women. Men have no business, especially a white male, has no business speaking to women about anything. You forgot cisgender. Cisgender. You're a cisgender male. Yeah, who actually looks like a man with your beard and mustache. How dare you? (laughs) But here's what Luke chapter 9 says. This is a passage that really gripped me a couple years ago at the end of 2018. And here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you the truth, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. We are not 
as Christians, we, we do not have the liberty of being ashamed or embarrassed by the Bible. Mm-hmm. And my observation is downstream from embarrassment of the Bible is abandonment of the Bible. Mm-hmm. So liberalism starts with this age-old question that Satan brings our way yeah. to God really say. Yeah. And liberalism always hits, over the last 150 years anyways, it, with, it always goes to the male-female identity. Like yeah. It just goes to gender. Okay. Yep. What does God have to say to men and women? Mm-hmm. And here's what I think. I think our embarrassment over the word has crippled, this is what the conversation I want to have, mm-hmm. has crippled the church and pastors in particular from the ability to speak to women mm-hmm. and to talk to women about what the Bible says yeah. because we've been terrified of them and because we've been embarrassed and not thinking that it's our place to say anything. Yeah. And so we've actually done a disservice to women because you're about to speak to women. Yeah. So what's your thoughts on that? I know that that's pretty mm-hmm. wide open. No, I think that's true that most people who have been in, in a counseling environment or uh, pastoral ministry generally, preaching, teaching, really any kind of scenario where you're addressing uh, cultural norms, applying scripture to the actual lives of people, you do find out really quickly that you're, if you say, hey men, you all need to, you know, stop looking at porn, get a job, you know, parent your children, stop being short with your wife, that that's, cheers, that's really, people receive that really well. Um, But if you were to say, um, ladies, beekeepers at home, um, stop pursuing a a career to the detriment of your obedience to Titus 2, 1 through 6, Um, have a quiet and gentle spirit, be submissive to your own husbands, respect your husband. A lot of those, those are just quoting verses of the Bible, not interpreting them even. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's usually a few responses that that prove your point that you're making. You you have the response of asterisking, well, your tone was wrong in how you said it. Um, That's right, but what about this situation? What about the single mom who has to work? And all these other situations, this kind of whataboutism, um, or just just general anger mm-hmm. in, in a response. Uh, and I, I think that does prove the point that the battle that's being fought right now is a battle that is, because it's aimed at, it, it's coming from a culture that hates God. If you hate God, you'll hate God's law. And God's law for his household is this established sphere of authority with a masculine head and mm-hmm. uh, a, a wife who submits to her husband. And if that ends up meaning anything beyond the typical, like, the only way that can look for a man is servant leadership, mm-hmm. which really looks like doing what your wife wants. Mm-hmm. That's what it means to lead. Um, if, it, if you get beyond that to maybe a husband who looks at his family and he says, you know what, I need to tell my wife to come home from work. Mm-hmm. And we're going to have to live on less. And I need to, we need to change things about how to, we're uh, training our children. And that's going to involve maybe even correcting my wife. Mm. That all of a sudden that man probably loses his backup in the local church yeah. pretty quickly. Yeah, so I think if we back this up, and I'm not a historian, um, so I don't speak in an authoritative way mm-hmm. as an historian, but knowing history mm-hmm. is, is something that's available to all of us, yeah. even people who don't have academic credentials in history. Yeah. Yeah. And in our country, and then just anecdotally, uh, I didn't grow up it seems like we walk on eggshells and we have been walking on eggshells mm-hmm. as a church broad strokes here for the last 150 years yeah. or more 
yeah. to where we're scared to death. And one mm-hmm. of the things that this passage and then this sermon series I did over, uh, about a year ago, I apologized to the women of our church mm-hmm. because I felt the burden of, I've, I have actually, and I don't know if, if these women, we have godly women in our church, yeah. most of them had never been, because we're terrified of them, yeah. because we think God is mean to them based on cultural standards, yeah. we don't actually say, here's how God's commissioned you. Now, me as a man, I want to know everything that God has told me to do and not yeah, do. Right. Like commission me and not to, to do and not do. What yeah. prohibitions does God have for me? Mm-hmm. Okay, I want to know those. Right. And I think our, we do a disservice to our women when we actually uh, think they can't handle it. It's or the soft the, bigotry of low expectations, whoever coined that brilliant phrase. Okay, explain. Soft bigotry of low expectations. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And it's originally coined in the context of race, um, and it, there's a lot that's true in that phrase, but it's this kind of idea where we treat people as if they're idiots, and that's a kind of bigotry, mm-hmm. where we're actually trying to, like, avoid offending them because we're trying to elevate them. Mm-hmm. I want to elevate women. I want to honor femininity, and, and those are all good instincts, but we can have a kind of a soft bigotry that proves that we actually don't think women are intelligent. Yes. That they can't handle rebuke, and that's... Man, that's just, you're treating women like children. That's how offensive mm-hmm. could you get? And the, the irony is it's like there's not, we're not actually treating them as equals. Yeah. Okay? We're, we're, we're equal image bearers. Yeah. And we're so much more than equal because we're masculine and feminine. Yeah. Okay? That we're not only equal. Yeah. We're equal and more. Mm-hmm. But the, the equality equal sameness thing, yeah. um, it, it actually uh, is very demeaning. It, it is. And, and even just like the... the um, being embarrassed about about Titus two or mm-hmm. Ephesians five, or Sarah obeyed Abraham calling him Lord, and just any verses where we could say like, oh my gosh, we asking women to call their husbands Lord? Okay, that's not a blanket statement, but we're not going to be embarrassed about that mm-hmm. verse. Yeah. And there's good things there, and there's a way that yeah. women should emulate Sarah in that, and ways that men should emulate Abraham. In and that's that. Peter's point. It's just it's you his can't point. preach it's, that text. Like we tend to, to run our text through the filters of uh, like our modern hermeneutical sieves, where we we filter out anything that doesn't fit our cultural narratives, and then we preach whatever truth is left. And even if we're still preaching true things, we're not preaching whole truths. Mm-hmm. We're preaching disintegrated truths at that point. And that's, that's almost more dangerous in a lot of contexts, theological contexts, than intentionally twisting. Yeah. Because you end up giving an imbalanced portrait. I, I, I kind of, I read a book recently that I, that I, there was a little bit of a light bulb for me. <clears throat> I don't know if you've read it. Hold on one second. Yeah. By the way, uh, listening audience out here, that's, I mean, there's thousands out here. I mean, you guys should see this. Yeah, crowd. you should see it. Uh, and Ryan <laughs> Deaton just came in too. Hey there, RD. Uh, feel free to chime in here, folks, if you want to applaud or scream or whatever. And Boo. Okay, there's like five people in the room, yeah. by the way. Including but, us. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, anyways, go okay. ahead. Okay. Go ahead. A book that I read. Have you read <coughs> David Wells' Curse no. to be Protestant? Mm-mm. Okay, he, he talks about, and this is about a century of recent evangelical history. This is really where evangelicalism came from, is a pushback against some of these modern especially text-critical liberal schools um, that were basic, like those were the massively liberal trying to recover the historical Jesus kind of move, the fideistic, like it doesn't matter if Jesus rose from the dead physically, he's, it's all about spiritual faith. They pushed back, this conservative kind of resurgence pushed back against that and formed evangelicalism by basically arguing about two things, inerrancy of scripture and penal substitutionary atonement. Mm. And so they said, because those were the big things under attack. So 
what happened though is that first generation did not mean to shrink the scope of our theological care to those two issues. They were like, yeah, these are the two that are being attacked right now. Mm-hmm. And like the, the, the Martin Luther quote that's not really Martin Luther, that if I, you know, if I defend at every point except that precise point where the enemy is attacking, I'm a faithless soldier. That's a terrible misquote. They didn't intend for, the, for Christianity to be reduced to those two issues, but it ended up happening over a few generations that eventually what happened is that the only issues that seemed to matter to be a, like, quote-unquote, evangelical were, yeah. do you affirm inerrancy mm-hmm. and do you affirm penal substitutionary atonement? And so now things like anthropology, biblical yeah. anthropology, uh, natural law, and how that, what that has to do with biblical anthropology, mm-hmm. ends up divorced from our thinking, and we just stop fighting because we're, oh, that's divisive now. Yeah, right. Because we can't have this big tent if we have yeah. people who disagree about that, mm-hmm. of evangelicalism. And I think that's one of the things that's happened to us is that we've ended up in the name of defending big tent inerrancy and penal substitution, tutionary atonement, we've ended up actually saying that if it's secondary, it doesn't matter. Yeah. So like, okay, niceness, <clears throat> it's almost as if niceness equals godliness here yeah. to defend ecumenic, ecumenicism, yeah, ecumenicism. That that's the big goal here <clears throat> and that... that Truth and love. Hey, love, 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 love. Yeah. But here, here's the thing. Even I think a lot of this is fueled also by uh, wanting. You know, there's a quote that I heard, and I think it's a really good and valid point. It's you know, it's hard to be right and not hurt people with it. Uh-huh. Okay, so it's yeah. It's it's in other words, it's easy to to be truthful and 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 and, and then just not care what people think in yeah. an inappropriate way. Yeah, imbalance. But then there's a way to actually believe something, but wanting wanting to make it as palpable as possible and, mm-hmm. and make people see how beautiful this is where yeah. we actually end up apologizing for it. Like, mm-hmm. okay, we end up apologizing that, but I'm sorry, I wish all forms of these sexuality, really, it's the, these forms of sexuality, in the end, although there's some really beautiful aspects to it, it just doesn't meet the biblical standard. Yeah. And yeah. We're, we're like, and we're just sorry, we wish it did, we didn't, we wish we <laughs> yeah. weren't as, as restrictive That's as this. That's the subtext. But, uh, yeah. but God has just really said only in, in the context yeah. of marriage. So it ends up being an apologetic narrative that yeah. we give. We're, we're just really sorry that God's word lands here. We believe it, we have to affirm it, but we're really sorry. Yeah. And I think that's a clear violation of, of when Jesus is like, if you're ashamed of me and my word, yeah. you, don't, you don't have the liberty here, in other words, to be ashamed yep. of me and my words. So there's got to be a way for us to unapologetically look at the scriptures, not flinch, mm-hmm. okay? And to not flinch at, or be embarrassed yeah. by what God has to say yeah. will earn you, and this is, this is my thinking, yeah. it will earn you from other Christians' accusations mm-hmm. of being hard-nosed, of being arrogant, of being... Soft legalist. It's your, your legalistic person because you don't flinch or you're yeah. able to read a passage yeah. of Scripture in front of people and then not say anything apologetic about it. Yeah, like reading reading Paul out loud and saying what he said, you know, yeah. <laughs> like um, some test case. We do this with elder candidates a lot at the church. We give them canary in the coal mine type test cases just to figure out how is this man reasoning. I have no idea. What, okay, what is that? Canary like um, if he gets this wrong, it's going to show me something about how he reasons in all kinds of areas. Okay. An example would be a polygamist walks into the church and says, I got, and this could happen at Utah actually, I got saved. Um, my whole family, my household got saved. Um, what should we do? Mm-hmm. And I want to see, and I, there's I'm, I'm disagreement throw, about I'm that. glad you throw real easy questions their way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we try to make them hard. <laughs> and let's say that 
let's say that it's possible to reason biblically and come to different types of conclusions about how my conclusion with that is that the man should continue being faithful to all of his wives, but he's disqualified from the office of elder, but he should continue to provide for his household, not deny them conjugal rights, all these things. There, you could make an argument that the other marriages aren't real marriages, but the point isn't the conclusion so much as how did they get there? Hmm. And if they just say, man, I really think, then I'm like, oh. But if uh, they say, you know what, where it's written, how did the church, how did the people of God deal with polygamy mm-hmm. in the Old and New Testament? Examples would be um, slavery. Can I re- these, I'm intentionally picking the most offensive things to our culture today. Do you believe that Paul was right when he said, slaves obey your masters? Hmm. Do you believe that that was correct? Right. Or was he, if, and a lot of people will say, even people who say that they're inerrantists will say, no, Paul had cultural limitations because of his place in history. Um, another one would be 1 Corinthians 11. Read, man is the glory of God, a woman is the glory of man. Um, what, what, what do you think about that verse? And again, these are all texts and issues where there's a lot of diversity of conclusion among Bible-believing Christians, mm-hmm. but they're all litmus tests for how do you reason? Yeah. Where's your standard? Mm-hmm. What are you going to appeal to? Yeah. Are you going to appeal to modern notions of egalitarianism? And filter the text through that, which would show me that your a priori um, commitments are to egalitarianism, mm-hmm. not the text. Yeah. You're not making your egalitarianism kneel to Jesus. You're making the text kneel to your egalitarianism. Yeah. And we all have those areas where we're so, blind. So what does it take long term, so the pastors who are listening or anybody who's listening, mm-hmm. to take Jesus' words seriously? Mm-hmm. Like in, in that text, okay, even the text that I read... In Luke 9 there's a there's a part of that verse that I don't fully understand when he says end of the end of the angels mm, in first Corinthians 11 um, no in Luke, are you talking about no I'm talking about Luke 9 okay for instance like in this oh, passage okay. uh, for he is ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels mm. where I don't know like I, I don't understand exactly yep. what that means but I don't want to, because I don't understand what something necessarily means, I don't want to be embarrassed or, or like stop short of the verse of saying, of the holy angels. Right. And doing that with any passage, what does it take long term to not be ashamed of God's word mm-hmm. and to be committed to that regardless of what comes yeah. our way? Yeah. And I, I mean, I would think, I would throw in the word courage, or C.S. Lewis's definition of courage is helpful, yeah. I think. But what does it take long term to for pastors to not be embarrassed. That word is really helpful for me anyways, thinking through this issue. To not be embarrassed Mm. about what God's word says when it doesn't match modern sensibilities in the world and modern sensibilities in a large Mm -hmm. part within the church. Yeah. You know what this issue to me, if I'm boiling this issue down, I think it's a choice between the fear of God and wisdom and knowledge and on the other side, the fear of man and folly. You can't shepherd people you're scared of. Mm-hmm. And you can't shepherd people whose approval you need. Yeah, it's good. If you're, if you, like, take the correcting women in the church thing for a male pastor. If you need, if you crave the approval of everybody in your congregation and you're a man pleaser and you live for the glory that comes from man and not for the glory that comes from God, you will not be able to say things. You'll be playing political games, mm-hmm. trying to uh, 
appeal to constituents yeah. instead of shepherding sheep. Putting out fires, just putting out fires. Yeah, putting out fires and avoiding starting them. Yeah. Sometimes what your church needs is a fire, you know. Sometimes what, what your church needs is for you to walk into a big stockpile of tinder and light a match and be like, this matches this verse, and then just yeah. drop it and kind of <laughs> see, see what happens. Because some things need to be burned to the ground. Yeah. Like, feminism is, is antichrist. Mm-hmm. Um, egalitarianism as a totalizing worldview is antichrist a lot of the these are these are the cultural outflow of worship of idols and if we're not willing to like pull a gideon and smash some asherahs <laughs> then you really shouldn't be a pastor you should do something else yeah and at the end of the day it's all it comes back to fear of man and you got to be humble and jovial and kind and gentle and meek and all of those correct your opponents with gentleness yeah. Uh, you're not being a jerk. Even if you deploy things like satire and prophetic mockery and sarcasm, which is fine. You can, the people in the Bible do it, including Jesus. You have to do it in, in a way that the overall ethos of the ministry is jovial humility, I think. Yeah, I love that. And I think there's a way. So we're working through as elders. And I did, did a series on this podcast about the qualifications of an elder through mm-hmm. 1 Timothy chapter yeah. 3, Titus chapter 1. And one of the things we talked about in there in the podcast, we're getting to it with our elder meetings, is uh, not quarrelsome. Mm, yeah. And <clears throat> I, I struggled with that for a minute to say, okay, mm. there's a, we, we don't need to be quarrelsome, but yeah. we do need to be Christ-like, which at times requires starting a fight. Yeah, Jesus started a lot of holy so fights. He, he started a lot of fights. So you have yeah. to, like with the Bible, to be this courageous, I'm, I'm going to be Christ-like and I'm going to be uh, biblical for the long haul, I love it. You're going to have to walk in sometimes and say, here's what God's word says, and um, we're going to have to deal with it. And <laughs> yeah. you're, you're, going to have to, you're going to have to say, okay, or walk out the doors, whatever it is. Yeah. You know what I mean? Sometimes we want to have like this uh, fake potted plant version of Christianity that looks exactly the way we like it and never changes. But if you plant the word of God, it's going to grow into what it is. Yeah. You know? And you can't deracinate ra- um, de- it. You can't cut the roots off and yeah. be like, hey, uh, I know this is in the Bible too, mm-hmm. but I'm going to cut that part off because yeah. I don't want that growing in yeah. this pot of my local church. Okay, one other thing. So post-millennialism. Um, oh, yeah. So, Let's okay, talk post-millennialism. Some, some <laughs> folks here will know that. We've got six minutes Can left, I get them? Okay? Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag that post yeah. um, uh, Understanding the Great Commission yeah. and the this eschatological hope that we have. Yeah. If in an optimistic future, ooh, you're using all my favorite. Words. I know. Okay, so, um, and not being ashamed of God's word and the claims of Christ, Jesus being the Savior of the world, that He's purchased this world and the glory of God will be full as the water covers the seas. Yeah. Okay, all of that. It puts you in direct conflict in ways that I before I was postmillennial, uh-huh. I I wasn't in conflict with the world. Okay, sure. So it and it and it requires you as a pastor to confront the world. And say, hey, world, you know, I think Toby Sumter's book, it mm-hmm. ends with, the last line was really good. Something oh. about like uh, yep. Jesus is king of this world, deal with it or something yeah, like that. Yeah, deal with it. Yeah, deal with it. Blood by world, Toby Sumter can't impress. Yeah, there we go. There's a free plug. There's and a, by the way. Use the discount code. Okay. We don't have one. And by the way, and, Toby Sumter will be on the free club yeah, and don't call yes. don't don't call, call him Tony Stumpler. Tony Stumpler. Good. Yeah, I'm don't so sorry, Mr. Stumpler, Stumpler, if you ever listen to this. Okay, so how how do we appropriately 
and I think depending upon what your eschatology is, it's going to drive you to different conclusions mm-hmm. about how do we engage with the world. Mm-hmm. But how do we confront the world with God's law to bring them God's gospel? And what kind of courage does that require from a pastor yeah. uh, to open himself up to the assault? The kingdom of heaven is forcibly advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. Yeah. Matthew chapter 11. Mm. And pastors have to be, have to be, to be God's men mm-hmm. who are called to do the work of pastoral ministry have to be forcefully advancing the kingdom. Mm-hmm. This is not a passive work no. or act. And for far too long in pastoral ministry, I did operate in this passive sort of way. Mm-hmm. And um, sorry, I thought Jordan was laughing at me just there for a second. Oh, no, but sorry. Side Okay, okay side conversation. Sidebar. We have audience that is not paying attention here, folks. Um, <laughs> but uh, so um, h- how do you embrace both not being a person who is intentionally going out just loving being quarrelsome yeah while simultaneously confronting the world with the law of god and the grace of god and saying you need to get in line mm-hmm. and how how do you be that arsonist mm-hmm. and start those fires yeah. for the glory of god without being just this quarrelsome person yeah i mean because we're not our goal isn't to be the loudest gong in the neighborhood it's like woohoo we're the loudest gong that's our church mm-hmm. and paul i, I think boils it down to the to love that what's our motive because again glory of the glory of men is a poor motive for anything even if the thing you're doing looks countercultural and kind of hip if post-millennialism becomes really hip and being like culturally brash becomes really hip there will be lots of people who are doing it not with love and they're just going to be clanging symbols hmm. you have to love our neighbors that's the heart of the law you can actually sum the whole law up jesus says just by saying love your neighbor as yourself Good. He, he even excludes the love the Lord your God part first when he says that once. The whole law, love your neighbor, uh, your unbelieving neighbor, your pagan neighbor, your feminist neighbor, your, you know, whatever ism they're into. It really has to come from love. And it, 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 you have to have a, at the same time this kind of tenacious faith, again, that the word of God will always do what is in the nature of the word of God to do. And you can't pick and choose parts of the nature of, of it and only deploy parts of it. You can't just deploy the part of the gospel that affirms humanity, because it does. It says humanity is a good thing that's going to be redeemed and restored in Christ. Mm-hmm. Human, humanity is a good thing that's been corrupted by sin. You can't take every other part of the gospel, though, out. It also says that humanity is radically depraved and only does evil and will not choose God apart from this radical intervention of his grace. You can't take out the offense, the offense of the gospel and still have the gospel. Yeah. And so I think if we go out and we preach the way that the apostles did, which is to literally pick fights with their idols. I mean, ask Demetrius the silversmith what happens when people come into the town with the gospel and it upsets the idol markets. So you just have to be, if if we love people, if we refuse to tamper with the message and we're willing to be hated for the sake of the fame of Christ, then it's going to be hard to screw up. Yeah. Even if they kill us. Mm-hmm. That's good. And yeah. behold, he will be with us always. Lo, even, the even the unto the end of the age. Good. Yeah. Okay, Brian, thanks, man. we got to finish uh, this conference. Yeah. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> thank you, audience. Thank you. Wow. Yes, very much. And thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit theshepherdscrook.co. For care and counsel, please call, text, or email to set up a session. 
You can follow The Shepherd's Crook on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And please consider sharing this episode and leaving a review on iTunes or whatever other podcast platform you use. And let me encourage you to remember Jesus Christ.